and welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chambers. And we're back after a very <laughs> long sabbatical. We did have a long sabbatical, an unplanned one too, but life got in the way. Life did get in the way and I'm not quite sure how that even happened, Chambers, because we did plan on having a two-week break and then a whole bunch of stuff ended up happening and, well, here we are, we're back, that's the main thing. Yes, and I missed recording, so don't know about you, Michelle, but I'm really looking and, forward to this. And I know we've had a few listeners who've missed us because I've had a few messages saying, I normally listen to you when I drive to work and you're not there. <laughs> I'm missing us. When are you coming back? So I have assured everybody that we will be back and we are back and here we are. So thank and you. so is tourism. Tourism's back. Yes, tourism's <laughs> back. God, we've missed all the exciting bits and all the exciting announcements and borders reopening and everything else. So Yes, well, you know, the government could do that talking for them. And now we can talk about how to get ready, which is yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, it's been so fun watching everybody on their sales trips overseas. There's been some big missions into Australia for snow um, and winter products. There's been the RTO days in Australia. So it's been really cool seeing everybody reconnect in person. And of course, the Trends Hui was last week, unfortunately, not in person. It was online. However, they did have networking events and I didn't go. Um, I hadn't signed up, but as it turned out, I ended up being quite sick anyway, as you can probably hear the croak in my voice. And no, it wasn't COVID. (laughs) (laughs) I've just got whatever else is going around out there and it's hanging with me for quite some time. So not very pleasant, but. But you're doing the right thing and you're staying at home. So Staying at home and isolating. Yes, absolutely. Because we're all learning that, aren't we? (laughs) Don't share those germs. No, nobody wants these germs. Believe me. what's new in Cairns is there have we missed anything over there um oh well we're starting to see backpackers I love it (laughs) I know I actually saw like a group of four people wearing a big backpack having a selfie stick out and talking different languages (laughs) perfect did you go up and ask for a selfie with them (laughs) mark the occasion (laughs) I actually I was walking down the esplanade and I looked at my partner Ben and I was just like Ben look it's backpackers. <laughs> it was a wild animal that we hadn't seen. <laughs> oh, you can just almost hear David Attenborough say, it's the backpackers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're back. Yeah. So it's a slow burn. It's very similar to that over in um, New Zealand, from what I can gather. And as we discuss on this show, there's quite a few limitations with staffing shortages and restaurants having to choose nights to stay closed to give their staff days off and and also tour operators are having to do the same thing as well so we're not back to 100% by any stretch of the imagination but can I share something really interesting and it's got me baffled I went back to the UK Mm -hmm. unfortunately for my dad's funeral but nonetheless it was very interesting getting on an international flight from Cairns so getting through to Singapore the, the plane was half full Singapore to UK, packed, the biggest plane, packed. Like there wasn't a single seat um, available in that plane. And then we arrived in the UK and just talking to my family and making plans and what we wanted to do. Long story short, they are short-staffed in the UK. (laughs) And I'm like, where is everyone? (laughs) You're 
social stuff. And they've got such a demand on jobs and things like that as well, that exactly the same patterns are happening over there. So even tradies, for instance, my brother's an electrician and he just says, when you employ somebody, if they just, they can't be asked to do the work or they don't like it, whatever, they'll just leave the next day and go and get a job somewhere else. Mm. And there's no concern that they're not going to get a job and therefore they can pick and choose some come and go. So yeah, the companies are really having to rethink about how they employ and and retain staff because they've yeah. got the same issue over there, which just, where have all those people gone? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, we had that chat yesterday before, obviously, before we recorded this show. And I just wonder if there's just some jobs out there that people only want to do when they're traveling. I and agree. I know that sounds strange, but I think of when I was in London and I never worked in a pub when I was over there, but so many of my friends have done that. Whereas I can't imagine that they'd ever want to work in hospitality or even pour beers in a pub here in New Zealand or Australia when they're home. Mm. So, yeah, is there something in that? But I think you're right in terms of how we attract and retain staff is a major, major challenge for our industry. And how do we make our industry appealing again? Because Mm. we haven't had... And I say we haven't had good press. And I I mean that from an employment perspective because so many tourism people lost their jobs through Mm. COVID that if you're sitting there going, well, which industry do I want to work in? I know if I was starting out again, I'm not sure that I would choose tourism, to be perfectly honest with you. As much as I love it and I can't imagine myself doing anything differently now, but if I was sitting there coming out of school going, well, actually, is that a stable industry? How do we give that certainty back to people that this is a great place to be and these are um, incredible skills that you'll learn and you'll meet some amazing people and interact with different cultures from all over the world and get to travel with it as yeah. well? It's a, Yeah, it's a big challenge for, for businesses. I think we um, definitely should tackle that on one of our shows. Yeah, I think we, yeah, I've got plans for that. (laughs) But hey, let's talk about today. We've got one of our friends of the show, so Robin from NZ Pocket Guide coming in to join us, um, just to chat about some of the stats, because going back to when we were recording last month or six weeks ago, before we had our little break, we had a few of the inbound operators on. We interviewed Nick Guthrie from Anne's Crow. And so we were starting to hear about some of the trends that we're seeing through the trade markets. But what Robin's going to talk about is what he's seeing on his website, which is one of the largest travel websites in New Zealand. So of course, we're talking about digital data, real stats and trends that are coming through. And just some of those differences that we're seeing between pre-COVID and now that borders have started to open. Yeah, absolutely. And let's and let's reiterate his his predominant market is the youth market as well. So they are the new emerging travelers that we're starting to see and hear from. So it's really interesting to get those stats from Robin. And he's really open with giving those. And it's quite mm. amazing. And I, I highly recommend anyone who offers a product that features for the youth market getting in touch and having a chat with Robin, if not looking at featuring on his website, because it is huge. You're right. It's, it's yeah. like second to TNZ's website yeah. in terms of traffic into New Zealand. Yeah. Um, yeah. So amazing. He's done a really great job and all based just down the road from me in Tūrangi. So yes, I know, all places. <laughs> 
Okay, well, we'll leave it there. It's great to see you again. Great to catch up. Looking forward to next week and the week after. We're going to keep doing this because we love it. And sorry to those of you who thought we weren't coming back. We are here and we're not going to do that again. No, no, (laughs) anytime. We try not to. We need a break every now and then, but... We come back refreshed with great ideas of who to get onto the show. Don't forget, if you're sitting there thinking that you'd love to feature on the show, drop us a line through the website, destinatenz.com. And yeah, we'll have a chat to you and see how we can fit that into our schedule. Absolutely. Oh, it's great to be back, Michelle. Have a great week, Chambers. Kakite. Kakite. What will travel look like post-coronavirus? Making the most of what's on our doorstep, planning dream trips and greater flexibility than ever before are likely to become part of our future as we try to support an industry that's been on its knees since the pandemic began in early 2020. Today, we're digging deep into some of the stats from one of our largest travel websites, NZ Pocket Guide, and we're joined once again by founder Robin Sensia. Kia ora, Robin. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, Michelle and Chambers. <laughs> Hi, it's good to be back. Yeah, so I'm excited about the return of travelers in the country for sure. It is going to be different travelers, going to be a different tourism landscape as well. But yeah, we've got some really fun stats that I thought uh, we could go through that we pulled straight from our website. We are a far cry from our 14 million readers that we had pre-COVID, but we yeah. still have uh, quite a few million uh, people that we were able to pull from some stats of the way they are planning their trip because pretty much of our current audience is in the stage of planning their trip. There's really not that many which are currently in the country. That sounds really good because there has been a lot of talk around the industry about some of the changes we're starting to see in traveller booking patterns. And we've interviewed a few of the inbound operators and some of our overseas wholesalers on the show. So we thought we'd go directly to the source because we love digital. We love the fact that the stats in digital are stats. There's no anecdotes here. And so we thought we'd come directly to you to see what you're saying on NZ Pocket Guide. All right, so I've got about uh, five different stats that we can uh, look at. Do you want me to dive in and go straight from the first one? Oh, why not? (laughs) All right. So the first uh, stat I found quite interesting is that from now for the last, let's say, about three to four months, the last three to four months, we had 72% of our audience that were planning a trip in New Zealand of 21 days or longer, which is an increase of 31% compared to pre-COVID. So what do you make of that? What do you think people are wanting to stay longer in New Zealand? Why do they want to stay longer? Are you asking us? Yeah, what do you guys think of it? Is it because of the commitment that they coming that far, that they want to spend longer and check out more of the region or? Yeah, so our understanding, so obviously we have that stat right here. And then after we just need to find qualitative reasons of why people will do that. Some of the reasons that we came up with will be the fact that prices of flights are much higher. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. obviously need to justify the, 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 the price of flights much more. Maybe there is also this COVID fear of, do, are you going to be stranded in a hotel room for an, an entire week in quarantine? And therefore you need to have enough time afterwards to still enjoy the country. Maybe that, that's one of the fear. There is a growing concern 
for sustainability in travel as well. And obviously, the carbon footprint of your flight is always the largest carbon footprint of your entire trip. So you may want to offset that with a longer uh, experience in New Zealand. So you haven't spent that much carbon for just, you know, a weekend in New Zealand. There may be some of those reasons. Also, a lot of people are more interested now in actually exploring other countries. So New Zealand is more and more seen as a gateway to the South Pacific. And we see that more and more as we do run also travel guides for South Pacific nations. And um, some people actually include like three weeks in New Zealand and also one week in the South. So in the Cook Islands, for instance, mm-hmm. it's something which is very much growing, especially for uh, the honeymooners, which are going to be, I think, a, a, a pretty heavy market going right in because they got married and they deserve that damn honeymoon. <laughs> people haven't been getting married for the last two years, or not a lot of people have been getting yes. married. There's been a lot of delays. So there is a bit of pent up demand in, in honeymoons. I agree with you, Robin. I think there's also something in there about you touched on the COVID fears and I wonder if there's a bunch of people who might have traditionally done 10 days in Australia and 10 days in New Zealand and now they're looking at different COVID policies across the two different countries saying well actually I'm just going to choose one. So yes that, that's the case as well yeah I get, yeah, I get that mono well, destination yeah. as opposed to the multi-destination approach. Yeah. And I think the reason why we see the South Pacific growing is because it's it's pretty simple. They either completely mirror New Zealand, such as what the Cook Island is doing, or or literally they're like, we're completely closed. And so it's a very clear cut for, for people and they're just completely reopened. You know, Fiji obviously is not completely reopened, but you, you only have like a couple of tests to do and then you're stuck in your resort. But that's no matter what, something that you will do anyway in Fiji, you probably will spend most of your time in a resort rather yeah, than yeah. doing New Zealand and Australia where you actually want to get out there. So I feel like it's kind of, it's why I think the South Pacific is a little bit more appealing than Australia right now for people that come from afar to, to travel in our corner of the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was chatting with an agent the other day and we talked exactly that about how New Zealand isn't one of those fly and flop destinations. We are a touring destination. So that by default is, it can be a good thing, but when we're looking at traveling while there's still COVID, it can be quite challenging because the fact that people would have to stop for seven days and isolate somewhere actually isn't that appealing to a lot of people. Yeah, people have been starving for things to do for sure. And it may also explain why people want to actually stay longer and they plan longer itinerary as well. They've been told for two years, you can't do nothing. You can bet that if now they get on the plane, they want to do as much as possible. And rather than to choose, am I going to do you know, this part of New Zealand? Am I going to go have the time to go to the Coromandel or am I going to have the time to go to Kaikura when I do my classic loop around? Which one do I skip, right? Well, now they have had more time to save up. They have had more time to plan they have had more time to uh, dream about their trip and therefore they want to do more because also with all the planning and the time on their hands they did a lot of googling about their trip to new zealand they discovered more things and they're like i cannot live without seeing those little blue penguins they're so cute i cannot live without going to swim with those dolphins they're so cute i cannot live without that instagram pictures on that one beautiful beach so they have added more things to their itinerary and then they realized well new zealand is not a one week afterthought destination after you trip to australia and it's worthy of your three weeks or your one month 
Uh, very true. And we're also hearing that the luxury market is growing, Robin. What can you tell us about the average booking value through your... Yeah, so so far we have seen that the average booking value was 26%, sorry, 26% higher than what it was pre-COVID, which we did find quite interesting. And it, it may be the result of a couple of things. It may not be because we're just attracting luxury travelers. It can also be because our prices went up as well. Inflation has had an effect. And so people are spending more money by default. They just don't have a choice. But there is multiple reasons. First up, longer stay. Obviously, if you mm -hmm. stay longer, you spend more money. That's that's pretty obvious. Inflation, all the prices are up. What else do I have? A lot of people have saved during COVID, so they have more money to spend since they were told you can't spend that money. So now yeah. they can. So uh, make it rain. But what I found quite interesting is that we still do have a quite a decent interest in people looking to travel uh, on a budget. And that may speak to the fact that a lot of younger travelers are actually going to be the people that are going to travel earlier mm -hmm. because they're a little bit less COVID scared of that. And so uh, it, it's kind of interesting. And we talked uh, about that just pre-show with Michelle. It's another one of those stats that have a really massive gap. So we would have a, a decent interest for budget, pretty much nothing in between, and then a decent interest in luxury. And therefore, it kind of makes uh, an interesting gap. And, and I feel like the mid-range is kind mm -hmm. of not as appealing as it used to be at the moment because people are either looking to genuinely treat them themselves and they're willing to spend big bucks for those really so unique experience with that very extra proposition value uh, or people are going to be a bit younger and genuinely just wouldn't have the budget to treat themselves that much mm. well there has been a lot of talk around this move to more mindful travel as well, where people won't just be traveling around everywhere wanting to tick boxes, that they're actually deliberately choosing experiences punctuated by more personalized experiences as well. So are you seeing that in terms of what the types of experiences that people are, are looking at on the site? Like, have they moved away from the, the traditional must-dos in New Zealand and digging a little bit deeper? But yeah, definitely. And that comes from Liti, that stems from what we were talking about. They had much more time on their heads to on their hands to plan so their itinerary become much much more unique what used to happen is that on our site we do have like trip ids where we have pre-made itinerary and like oh yeah you just print it and you're good to go and fits can be on their way and yeah. now we see much more uh, people even just reaching out and say hey, i want to include this i wanted so people want to tailor those things much more because they had much more time to plan it and when it comes to choosing experiences we have done a lot so we obviously do have opinions on some of the uh, experiences which are booked through the site and we've done hundreds and hundreds of activities in new zealand and what we find much more is that um, yes people are willing to spend more money but they are usually on the experiences that genuinely deliver much better value so you will spend that hundred dollar more if you get genuinely something extra out of it and it's not just the price is a little bit more up yes. so it's still really important to deliver value because price is still a massive decider and that's i think never going to change uh, when in your travel decision price is always going to be quite a big decider mm, absolutely mm. And we heard last week at the Trends Hui from Darren Wright, who is Flight Centre's Chief Marketing Officer, he was talking about the demand being shifted to 2023, so their lead times were a lot longer. What are you seeing online? Is that a similar trend? Ooh, what a smooth transition. I love it. Yes. 
We are seeing bookings being 19 days earlier. So the, the booking link time is 19 days earlier than it used to be pre-COVID. So uh, it jumped from 57 days prior to travel, uh, the, the average booking that we had, and is now to 76 days um, prior to travel. So I feel like there is a, a big bunch of travelers which are waiting and hoping that restrictions will lift and they are planning further ahead just because they don't want to deal with all the hassle. We don't want to deal with all the hassle, so why would they, let's be honest? But they're still really keen to go, so they're still going ahead with their booking and planning their trip. And it's another part of, of the stats that we have where we see a massive gap. So we do have a, a, a bunch of people which are looking to travel literally right as soon as the borders are opening. They want to be those ones on the TV show, uh, you know, on the nine, new, nine news, uh, news TV show clock, whatever. I don't have TV, can you, can you actually? But yeah, so they want to be the one on the first flight and they're really really keen to to get in as soon as, it, as they can but then you also have people which are like you know i've been burnt once with another travel should it be new zealand or elsewhere and they realize that they lost a lot of money on their deposits or on their bookings because insurance don't cover everything and they're like you know what i'm going to book much further ahead in the hope of all of that changing and also give me a lot of lead time if I need to make changes to my bookings because there is nothing worse than having to do changes to a, a one month trip that we just talked about about a week uh, a week before that is just daunting terrible and I don't wish it on anyone yeah, yeah. No, I hear you and so with all of this data Robin what kind of search terms are you finding are quite popular on your site and the yeah, so, so market so, so, searching NZ content right now yeah, so a lot of people are obviously looking for experiences and 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 NZ content. So one of the things about our website is that we do have a lot of content and we cover a lot of different topics. So we don't really have specific search terms which are going to be much more core part of audience than others. So we don't really rely on like a few pages that we drive like half of our traffic, which is the case for a lot of uh, websites and a lot of operators' websites which have one niche and do that. So for us, we have thousands and thousands of keywords which con consist in what that you know what people are finding us through however what we have found is that the length of the queries have changed as well so while the queries before were around three and a little bit over uh, amount of words um, that people were typing on google to find us and now it's about 4.4 uh, words so that means that people are looking are doing research much more specific to mm -hmm. what they're looking for they're comparing more so that would be company number one versus company number two which one is the best you know they will actually do the those kind of searches and they will actually do those qualitative research and they will seek third-party website to validate their own research as well and to validate the information they will find on an operator's website so interesting yeah we find them like really getting much lengthier and it really shows the importance for operators and for anyone in tourism to actually do outreach and you don't want your content let's say you are the lake topo uh, tourism board you don't want your content just there you want it on other other websites as well because you want that information to be valid validatable is that yeah, a word yeah. i think it is <laughs> yeah. you want it to be validatable so if you have one claim on your website you need third parties to actually validate that claim and yes. tell people it's not bs it is you know they really do deliver this and deliver that and that that's how a lot of brands use us and that's something that we that has basically helped us a lot in the past into gaining traction and i feel like this is a trend that people are going to be seeking much much more now and so to so to interrupt there is this kind of saying that OTAs are becoming a little bit more important or paid OTAs not so much on the validation it's more well, um third party websites that hold your content 
Yeah, I think it's more like qualitative websites rather than OTAs. I mean, OTAs are growing and, and we see that as well. And I think you see the worldwide trends growing uh, on OTAs. I mean, they, they, they are going to be a part of the market forever. I don't see that kind of going down. But people are also mindful. Uh, if you are on the TripAdvisor or on, on a website like that, you as the business owner have put the information in there. They do know that it's not Brian TripAdvisor that has come to your business and have write all this information and validated all that. So they, they are aware of that as well. So you do need like an, a, a second publication or something slightly different. Should it be even like a, a you know 10 different bloggers or something like that that will have done that work done that experience and can vouch for well this is really what it is rather than the other way around of like well i'm telling you this is what i'm going to deliver hey, it's the word of one person i have a lot of time on my hand i do my research yeah there's a lot of marketing terms out there that don't necessarily kind of result into a fantastic experience and that's why we listen so much to our friends and family recommendations, that word of mouth, user-generated content. As an industry, we're very focused on that. And that's that exact reason, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And this is another way to kind of deliver the experience and have like for, forward referrals after that. Yeah. So, Robin, do you have any stats on which markets are visiting your site at the moment? Where are the searches coming from? Who, who's coming to New Zealand? Who's going to come and visit us soon? <laughs> so traditionally, our, our website has always served a lot at the US North America market, US Canada. Australia has always been a really big market for us as well. And uh, in Europe, it has always been uh, UK and France. Now, we have seen a, a quite a decent shift with a big growth from India. It's still not one of our top 10 markets, but yep. honestly, maybe it's in the top right now. But it hasn't cracked the top, top five, but they're pretty keen to come to New Zealand as well. And obviously, Kiwis are still kind of trying to do things around the country. There's still a, a decent demand for domestic travel, but uh, we definitely see uh, a decent shift towards, eh, I want to get out there. And that's when we see the Kiwis market really growing into uh, more of a South Pacific website, which right. you know, Kiwis are pretty much keen to get out now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah, TripAdvisor was at the Trends last week as well, and they were talking about their search growth between March and April and okay it's only two months but they were talking about this growth in Singapore and that suddenly Singapore has jumped into their top five markets and really interesting are you seeing anything like that from Singapore as well apparently they're um, Singapore we always had a quite a, a decent amount in Singapore but Singapore itself is not necessarily the largest market so it doesn't yeah. really offset what we will get from Australia and the US yeah. so it, it, it by itself like Singapore is still like not bad and we've seen that uh, in in the numbers I, I don't have the numbers right now because that's not the one i prepared because no, i okay. unprepared but i was uh, actually yeah. going to ask about singapore because they've been very aggressive with increasing their air connectivity and that airline activity and i wondered if that's why you've seen a growth in india as well because of their connectivity with india um via yeah. Singapore and through to New Zealand or through to Australia. And yeah, the youth market in Singapore is absolutely gagging to get out. And, yeah. and, and we're getting much more flight as well, which, which I think is going to really help with the, with the youth market. I think MasterCard released research not that long ago that said that in Asia Pacific, we're going to get a 430 million more flight than we had in 2021. So like definitely we're going to increase connectivity and with that prices are going to go down and the youth market will be able to recover. So wherever yeah, yeah. we have the youth market, we'll be able to get them as we get more flight and cheaper flights. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things that we haven't touched on is that airline connectivity. And I wonder if that's driving a little bit of this longer lead time booking as well, because at the moment, like just running through some of the stats that, that they shared last week at Trends, we're only sitting at 34% airline capacity yeah. versus pre-COVID. So, you well, know, when the average flight is like 3,200 New Zealand dollars when it used to yeah. be 1,400, I mean, you know, uh, we're talking like you flight from Europe, it makes a big difference. And yeah, that will uh, dampen the spirits of the markets, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. So they're predicting that by December we'll be back to 22 airlines and 36 destinations, but still only at 67% of our airline capacity. So this is a bit of a slow burn, isn't it? For those who are excited about internationals the borders opening this sudden recovery of tourism it's probably a little bit of a dampener <laughs> on that just to say it's it's not going to be an instant fix it's, well it's definitely not going to be floodgates is it yes. it's it's going to be no. a trickle yeah. But it's definitely going to be a blessing in disguise, though, because um, in New Zealand uh, right now, we are suffering. And every single one of you listeners know that we're suffering with major labor, labor shortage. Uh, we just don't have enough staff to deliver the, the high quality service and the high standards that we're accustomed to. And that will also justify uh, being able to charge really high prices to all those lux travelers mm -hmm. which are looking to come in the country. So the fact that uh, we, our recovery is going to be quite slow it's pretty good because we'll be able to crack new systems and making sure that we'll be able to actually get back to speed and then keep delivering these amazing services that we used to be able to deliver by the time that we have the full recovery. Because, and it may be controversial to say, but I do believe that the travelers that are gonna come in the next six months in New Zealand are not going to get uh, an amazing brand New Zealand survey, uh, like level of service. And they may not actually have the level of satisfaction compared to the amount of money that is spent in the country um, that they used to have in New Zealand. So they may not be our best referrers afterward. They'd be like, New Zealand was amazing, but it was expensive and the service was so, so. And it's just come from the fact that we just don't have well, those backpackers that were able to do all the legwork that we needed to do <laughs> and all these kind of things, because yes, we give a lot of working holiday visas, but they're not coming because the flight are twice the price than what they can afford just yet. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like it's in the fact that the recovery is going to be a little bit slow is kind of a blessing in this guy. Let's just dust off everything right now. Let's just practice on those people which are really eager. Yeah. I think everybody was just so keen and excited that the borders were opening and pre-departure tests were get, being, getting rid of. And, oh, my goodness, we're going to see tourists back. But it, it is, you're right. It's going to take a wee while to really rebuild itself. But take advantage of that. Really look at what you're doing in your business. And let's be honest, for the last two years, the tourism industry has been focused on that domestic market and has, God forbid I use the word pivoted, but, you know, they have, they've really looked at how they deliver their products for a domestic market. So now's the time to start going, okay, is that product actually worth carrying on in the international? Or do we need to reassess and go back to what we did before? Or can we tweak it and move forward and have something a bit more meaningful or sustainable? So you, you do have to reevaluate your product offering again two years down the line but that's what we had to do you know we had to do it two years ago with the the market that we were presented then and we've got to do it again I think now for these different style travelers and conscientious travelers as you point out Robin 
Mm. And the product I use to deliver to a Kiwi family is not going to fit uh, what you need to deliver to a couple of Americans which earn half a million US dollars a year and are expecting the level of services that they usually get in the US when coming to New Zealand. And, and it's something that we will need to think about. And that's something that I think is going to kind of take a bit of time to get back working. And it's going to be a trial and error again and be like, okay, yeah, oh, this, this is how demanding they are. And this is what we need to deliver uh, in order to justify charging more to our international market than we used to because everybody had to make some cuts on prices as well in New Zealand and therefore cut down their bottom line as well. Yeah, I think given that we'd love to share tips on this program as well, I think one of the things that I'd be suggesting for operators if they're listening into this going, oh, well, that sounds a little bit like us, is just even going back to the basics and being really honest about what you are able to offer. And I think that goes a long way. And mm. we were talking a little bit pre the show about restaurants. Lisa, you were talking about the fact that you can't get into a restaurant in Port Douglas at the moment unless you're booking three days ahead. And it's just the restaurants are short staffed. So they need to have that planning in advance. So they know that they can handle it and provide a level of service. And I think I've had experiences through COVID where I've stayed at hotels that have said on their website, they're not offering valet parking, but their restaurants are open. But when I get to the hotel and I've been twice through COVID, they've valet parked my car, but the restaurants haven't been open. So little things like that, go back and have a look at what's on your website and review it, refresh it, make sure it's accurate and it's saying what you need to say. Forget about what happened last year. This is clients now and visitors now want to know what's going to be like when they get there. What are they going to experience? No, I agree with that. And if I can share another tip, for example, is that we all know that uh, the price of gas has gone skyrocketed right now. So a lot of operators are looking at passing that cost on to the customer, right? However, it's a bit of a tough sell. You know, my mate said when he booked it, it was 100 bucks. Now you're trying to charge me 150, for instance, like those kind of things, right? So what I would say is looking at at your price structure and be like, okay, I need to charge about $10 more right now because gas is more expensive, right? Well, what about you look at charging extra $40 more, but you add a glass of bubble and kiwi treats or something like that, which could become first hero images for your product. And second, will justify a price increase because you actually added value for increasing that. Just saying I'm increasing my price because there is inflation, it's just not it's not the dream, is it? And, you know, no. traveling is a little bit, is all about that, right? Like another stat that I do have that we didn't dive into just yet is the amount of research that people are doing. And what we are finding is that people are doing 2.1 times more research on our website and then coming back on a website. So that's the amount of pages that people would check on our site, but that's also uh, the amount of pages in total that the person will uh, search. So the same uh, user ID will come back from Google to our site yet again with a different search and come and do more research. So they basically do twice more research about their trip. So they will know what you offer. I can tell you right now, they will know what they're expecting. They will know what people usually complain about in your tour and they will look for it. And they will also know what they actually want to get and why they're choosing you. And they will actually know why they choose you compared to your competitors. So you better deliver. So making sure that you deliver on uh, all those promises uh, that have been made and and that people are expecting is, is quite important. You don't you don't need to, I mean, you don't just need to speak to the hearts of people anymore. You need to speak to the heart and speak to the brains. And that's a shift that we're going to really have to do in marketing nowadays, because we used to, in New Zealand, just speaking to the heart, like, mm-hmm. look at that beautiful photo, fall in love, come in, give me my money. 
this is what we used to do, right? And I'm putting it simply, but that's a lot of what we used to do in New Zealand. And now we're going to have to slowly shift to hearts and brains mm -hmm. because people are going to do much more research. They're getting accustomed to doing that. And also there's kind of a, a bit of a pleasure into planning your trip. A lot of people just mm. find that kind of much more fun. I find like people like doing podcasts and YouTube videos about them just planning their trip. It becomes her hobby in its own. There's yeah. actually a podcast of people planning trip to places. They never go to places. <laughs> they just plan the trip. <laughs> and it's like widely popular. They make like million, millions of, of listens. Um, it's just fun and it's become a hobby, right? So, yeah. Yeah, well, they've definitely had the downtime to do those planning, right? And I'd be really interested as well, Robin, just while we're talking about the effects on um, travel. And of course, we've discussed COVID and post-coronavirus, but there's a lot more going out in the world. And I've just traveled to the UK in the last couple of weeks and the fuel prices there match New Zealand's, the two pounds a litre over there or a gallon over there. So the UK is very aware of this high expense and inflation. Inflation is happening across the world. Are we seeing any concerns around what's going on in uh, Ukraine? Is that holding back travellers? Are they worried about travelling that far, those distances? Is any of this having an effect, the other issues going on in the world? Aside so we haven't seen any effect on the Australian and North American market. I think they still see it as something happening really far away. Uh, it doesn't disturb flight routes. It, there had been incidents actually over some of those areas over there with some plates being shut down much before the the war over there. So I think that we, we won't see anything unless it becomes global and please help us. But you know, like, I don't think that's going to really shift on like those two really, really large markets. However, yeah, price of gas and, and we probably already talked about price of gas at least five times since we started uh, <laughs> this podcast. I think it's always going to be a big problem for travelers just because it is the largest you know, expense for airlines and they will pass that cost on to travelers because they're not going to keep on running flights and have high operating expenses. Like we've seen that with Air New Zealand, right? They mm. still are having much higher operating expenses than they're actually making incomes right now. And there is no more bailout coming. So they will need to start making money and uh, they will pass those costs to travelers. So all that money, which is going into BP Petroleum and Exxon is not going into the hands of operators in New Zealand because, yeah. you know. Sadly. But as you say, I mean, there are some really easy ways to surprise and delight customers to give them that perceived value when they're with you. And I think it's just a case of looking at what fits with your business, what can you do? Like I look at Garth, who we've had on the show from Togadero River Rafting, and one of the things that they do is you're travelling down the river, you've been paddling, the water is quite cold and depending on the time of year, and then all of a sudden when you get to this nice flat spot and you're floating away, he pulls out a flask with hot chocolate in it. And it's mm -hmm. it's divine. Like it's And everybody on the boat is like, wow this is incredible because and you're just in nature and all of a sudden you're drinking hot chocolate and you didn't expect it and hopefully i haven't given away his secret but <laughs> <laughs> you know it's those little things that don't cost a lot but really provide a little bit of a wow to your business to make up for that expense of people getting to new zealand because we can't control that we can't control how much it costs for them to get here but we can control the experience that they have while they're with us in New Zealand. So 
I agree. And a very similar example will be the Cathedral Cove kayaks. Mm -hmm. So they do kayak tours and they go all the way to Cathedral Cove and everything. And non honestly, everybody and their cousins can put you in a plastic boat and get you paddle yeah. over there and, and land on that beautiful beach. Everybody can do that, right? Yeah. But literally, the number one talking point for what they're offering is that they actually give you barista style coffees and hot cocos on the beach. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. These literally like, he's foaming the damn milk. How is he doing that on the beach in the sand and everything? But they have even just, they thought about even the colors and everything. The cloth that he has, is, it's like purple. It looks amazing on photos. And, and it's, it's literally one of the number one talking points that we get about Cathedral Cove. It's like, what's that company that does the kayak with like this, this amazing coffee when you're on the yeah. beach and everything? It, it literally is a massive difference and it's a talking yeah. point. And usually that ends up being the company that we have to refer to those, those people to because they ask for specifically that one because it makes a really big difference because literally the guy froths my damn milk when I ask for, you know, when, sorry, when I ask for hot cocoa, you know, he, he literally, he asked everybody and out of the eight people in the tour, everybody had like a different order because there was some American and they asked for a macchiato, yeah, yeah. God knows what that is, and, and some other of those Starbucks specialties. And literally he was able to deliver to all of them. And, okay. and, and yeah, that was absolutely amazing. So just having, and it, it really is not a major expense onto that business. But that genuinely allows them to be able to charge more and be more expensive than their competitors and still be competitive. Yeah, so long story short, there is many different ways to add value, which are low cost for the operators, but really high perceived value for the traveler. And I think that taking a, a, a bit of time while we still are not having a ton of travelers right now to brainstorm those ideas and see how to actually implement that within the business would be a really good thing to do, you know, literally within the next month. So chop chop and put that on your book at least. I mean, <laughs> Great. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. Hey, look, that wraps up our chat today. And I've had a lot of fun um, chatting to you once again, Robin. This is your second time on the show, and I'm sure it won't be your last. But thank you for being generous with sharing the stats from NZ Pocket Guide. And we'll throw your contact details into the episode notes. So if anybody's listening, going, we want to know how we can get involved in that and talk about that third party validation of their product with you, obviously they'll be able to do that. Just check out the episode notes guys so thank yeah, you I'm on LinkedIn now so I signed up literally at the beginning of the week apparently that's something that business people do so you can find South oh, yes. Pacific Pocket Guide on LinkedIn and you'll find me yes perfect and we'll tag you in our LinkedIn promotion of this episode as well so everybody go and find Robin and hit him up he's a great chat and yeah we'll chat to you again soon thanks for joining us yeah thanks Robin brilliant thank insights thank you very much for having me again Kakide. Kakide. Kakide.